This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, the name of today's podcast is The State of Theology, and I want to acknowledge something right off the top. This is not the start of like a series of things called the state of whatever the word is. So last week, so episode 48 of this was called the state of civility. This is a complete happenstance kind of an occurrence here. Okay. So this was not the plan to do two in a row that were the state of something, but this is just the way the cookie crumbled. All right. So don't, don't anybody at me. Don't tweet me. Don't, don't let me know that this was weird. I know that it's weird. I'm acknowledging that it's weird right off the top. So the state of theology is something that I've wanted to talk about for several weeks, but I haven't really known where it would fit best to kind of fit in. There seemed to be a lot of stuff going on in culture and a lot of stuff going on in the news. And so some other things just hit around those times. And so this is just the way the cookie crumbled again. Last week, we talked about the state of civility. If you haven't heard that episode, go back one week to episode 48, but here we are talking about episode 49. So what in the world am I talking about? The state of theology. Now, some of you are probably aware, but most of you are not aware that there is a state of theology survey that is done every two years. So if you're familiar, uh, you might be familiar with Lifeway or Ligonier Ministries. That was R.C. Sproul's ministry. Well, still technically is his ministry, even though he passed away at the end of last year. But this is something that's done every two years to kind of get the theological temperature of what is currently going on in America. And so uh, it's a really interesting study. Uh, The last one was released here in, I think it was September, October of this year, and it was the third one of its kind. So spread out by two years. The one this year was conducted during April and May of 2018, and they got just over 3000 respondents. And this is really, really important, especially when we get into what this found, what the study found is how the study was broken into categories. Okay. So it looked at two different groups of people. So the other, uh, so, so let me just kind of get in. I was trying to think of the best way to break this down, but it, we'll just keep it simple. So the first group is just Americans in general. So that's obviously really easy. So anyone that's currently living here, currently a citizen, Americans in general. And then the second category are evangelical Americans. Okay. And that was about 581 was the number of people that considered themselves to be evangelicals out of that group of 3000 or so respondents. Okay. Now, before we get into all the things that this found and what this is going to show us, I do want to kind of go into a little bit about what they meant when they talked about evangelicals, because you hear that term on the news, you may have used it yourself, maybe it's used at your church, but we don't know exactly what that is right? So we don't always have a definition, but for this survey and for Ligonier Ministries, they were very, very, very specific about what this meant. So I want to go over the kind of the four things that they put in for you to self-identify as an evangelical. In order to self-identify in this survey to be an evangelical, you had to agree with the four following statements. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Number two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to, cr- to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's number two. Here's number three. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And number four. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So that's very important. So keep that in mind as we're talking about the different ways that this breaks down. And guys, I tried to, I spent a lot of time really thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for the last couple of months about the best way to, to give this information to you. So I thought about just summarizing the data in my own way. I thought about basically getting a lot of things from other articles 
and trying to, I don't know, piecemeal those together in a way that would be interesting to you. Um, I know a lot of you aren't deeply theological people, but then a lot, there are some of you out there that really are. And so you don't, you don't want to be talked to with kid gloves on and all those different things. Like I get it. And what I decided to do was that the best thing for me to do is that I was going to go through the summary of the state of theology directly from thestateoftheology.com. Okay. Again, I'll provide the links here at the end. I know I'm pretty specific when it comes to stuff like that, but I just want to walk through the things that were said during this because it shouldn't take too terribly long because it's not, it's not incredibly exhaustive in terms of its text, but the the context is really, really exhaustive. I feel like, and when you go to the website, which I'm sure you'll do, make sure you're not doing it while you're driving, please guys. But, um, it's got a lot of really cool graphics and it kind of helps you understand where, where things have shifted from the last time they did this survey, kind of the interesting things about the different generations of the people that they polled. But I'm just going to basically walk you through this. And so I'll be reading different sections and kind of giving you more of an idea of where we're at. But just to kind of set the stage of this, the 3,000 or so respondents, again, the two groups, evangelical Americans or just Americans in general, they were asked a series of questions. It was several dozen questions and they had to give themselves a response of, you know, strongly agree, agree, neutral, disagree, or strongly disagree. Okay. And then they basically put all the stuff together through there. So I want to go ahead and get into what that looks like now. So let me go ahead and start with reading from the state of theology.com. What do Americans think about God, Jesus Christ, sin, and eternity? Ligonier Ministries' State of Theology Survey helps uncover the answers. Every two years, we take the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand today's culture and equip the church with better insights for discipleship. Read some of our key findings from the 2018 from 2018 below and explore the data for yourself. So I'm going to go ahead and get into the very first part here. So this part, I just want to be very clear. This is talking specifically about evangelicals. Okay. So this is not America in general. This is not your regular run of the mill, you know, pseudo Christian or whatever they consider themselves American. These are evangelicals that hit those four standards from earlier. So here we go. Evangelicals have a great concern for the gospel the evangel. Yet a majority of them also express some views that are contrary to the truth of the Bible. For example, although evangelicals believe that Jesus died on the cross for their salvation, many do not fully understand the gravity of sin. Okay. So uh, again, I told you there were several dozen statements or questions that were made. So here was statement number 11, and it was everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Again, I'll repeat that because this is one of the most incredibly surprising findings from this. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. This idea flatly contradicts the Bible, which teaches the radical corruption of every human being and declares that no one does good by nature. So obviously here, I'll just kind of cut in right here. It's talking about Romans 3, and this is verses 10 through 12. So I'll read that to you here from the ESV. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I'll go back into the reading from State of Theology here. This is why we need the gospel in the first place, because none of us is good. So the thing that was most, I guess, crazy about this was that evangelicals, only 52% of people that called themselves evangelicals agree with the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. I mean, coming from a kid who didn't go to church, who didn't grow up with all these Bible stories, that was one of the things that was the most surprising thing in the world to me. Now, 
I would have expected something along the lines of 52% from maybe just Americans in general, but 52% of evangelicals think that most people are good by nature. And I guess, you know, I'm sure we'll get into a bunch of different definitional arguments throughout this, but I guess it's really coming down to one word, which is good. Like, what do we see as good? And guys, I know this is a kind of a heavy start, but man, that 52% of evangelicals think that most people are pretty good. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, we'll get back into the reading here. Evangelicals are also confused about the exclusivity of Christianity and its objective claims to truth. There has been a slight increase in people who agree with this unorthodox view since 2016, though future surveys will need to confirm this trend. So this is going into statement number three. So I'll read statement number three here. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Okay, so back in 2016, 49% of evangelicals agreed with this to only 43% disagreeing. And this year, it's up to 51% agree versus 42% disagree. So 51%, over half of evangelicals in the United States, believe that the worship of all religions is accepted by God, to include Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So that's got to be pretty concerning because, again, this goes in the face of what we know to be true, you know, specifically within John 4.24. So I'll go ahead and read that here. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so we're talking about truth here. So let me go back into reading from State of Theology. The Bible is clear that the gospel is the only way of salvation, and God will not accept the worship of other faiths. It is only through Jesus Christ and by his spirit that we are able to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Again, going back to John 4, 24. So this kind of gives you a sense. We're only two statements in, and we're going to go over several more throughout this podcast. But man, just think about that. And I know I'm I'm kind of talking from a different point of view, but think about you guys. I mean, I want you to be thinking about the things that you believe as you go through this and whether or not you've wrestled with some of these things, because, you know, we'll kind of get into objective truth and some different things later, when, especially when we work with Americans and not just evangelical Americans. But over 50% of people think that God accepts your worship if you are worshiping, you know, using Islam, using being a Muslim, right? And I think that's really, really interesting, especially considering what most of us now know about what's in those surahs, what's in the Quran. So, man, just crazy, but we'll keep it going. However, on an encouraging note, evangelicals overwhelmingly agree that justification is by faith alone. Okay, so this goes into statement number 13, which I'll read now. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. So 91% agree with that and only 7% disagree. Like, well, I don't, like, I don't understand. I, I just absolutely don't understand this one. So if we look at these, these back, these two back to back. So over 50% of them think that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam. And then the next one is God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. The Jews believe that Jesus was a rabbi, but they also think that he pretty much was a heretic, right? That's why they killed him. And then if you look at Islam, they, they believe that Jesus was, was, was a great teacher. He's in the Quran, but they also think that he didn't die on the cross. If you don't believe me, look up swoon theory, right? This is, they, they don't think that Jesus actually died. There's a whole bunch of theories as to what actually happened to him, but none of them have him dying and then being resurrected three days later. 
How, how can you coalesce these two things together? 91% of people, of Christians, evangelicals, believe that God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. But, but then how can he accept the, the worship of, of, a, of a Muslim or, or somebody that is a Jewish? Right. And I mean, not Jewish just in terms of where they were born or what their family is, but in terms of their actual Orthodox faith or something. And then what about Sikhs? What about, you know, naturalists? What about those people? So, ugh. all right, let's keep going. Strangely, while most evangelicals strongly believe in justification by faith alone, they are confused about the person of Jesus Christ. On one hand, virtually all evangelicals express support for Trinitarian doctrine. Yet, at the same time, most agree that Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God, which was a view espoused by the ancient heretic Arius. Okay, so one thing I'm not going to do right here before I go into this section, I'm not going to explain to you who Arius is. If you don't know who that is, that's A-R-I-U-S. Just go and look him up. Okay, guys, there are just mountains and mountains of research on this guy. And I could do an entire separate podcast on the things that he taught and kind of why it was popular in his day, why he was eventually deemed a heretic at the Council of Nicaea, how the Council of Nicaea is not how it was depicted in the Da Vinci Code, the movie or the book, like all that stuff. Maybe I'll do that for another day, but I'm just going to save that for now. And we're going to go ahead and go into statement number two. I know these are a little bit out of sync, but it just kind of paints a narrative for us. Okay. So statement number two is this. There is one true God in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Okay. So amazingly, 97% of people agree with this to only 3% disagree. So, whew, okay. We're, we're, we're working there. We're, we're getting close, but yeah. Okay. There is one true God in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Okay. Now this dovetails us into the next statement, which is statement number six, which is Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So this is just concerning in terms of what the findings are. So back in 2016, 71% of people agreed with the statement to 23% disagreeing. Now it's 78% of people agree with the statement versus 18% disagree. So 78% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Like, woof. Like, that that's really, really bad, bad stuff. Like, I, I don't really... It's really hard to fathom how people believe that Jesus was the first created being. We we just don't see that uh, within Christology. We don't we don't see that um, in terms of a reality, and it just shows a real lack of the things that that we're seeing. Um, man, it's it's just really really tough whenever you look at things through that lens and through that perspective. Because and it really goes back into what people believe about Jesus to begin with, because there was kind of this convoluted thing before where, you know, they believe that God accepts the worship of all these different religions, but Jesus is the only way. Again, let's go back to John 14, 6. So that in John 14, 6, we see Jesus say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So again, it just, it's really confusing to me where, where this stuff comes from. And, and we'll maybe tease this out a little bit later when it talks about how we got to this point. But let me go ahead and wrap up this section here about evangelicals. These results show the pressing need for Christians to be taught Christology, especially as the outcome has gotten worse since 2016. There is a general lack of teaching today on the person of Christ, a doctrine for which the early church fought so hard. 
The Ligonier statement on Christology has been carefully formulated to restate historic Orthodox biblical Christology. So that link will be here. So you can click on that, the Ligonier statement on Christology. So Again, these were some of the more concerning things, and that's because we're looking at things inside the church. So this is what people believe inside the church. That is, that is the biggest thing that, that we really, really need to look at. And so, but now as we transition to the next part of the podcast, we're going to look at what just Americans think. So to be more specific, these are U.S. adults. And so again, we can assume that some of these are going to be a little bit different in terms of, of how they're worded and, and how people view them. Because again, you're, you're, my, you're maybe dealing with nominal Christians, people that, you know, have some sort of a belief in some sort of a deity that they kind of call God. And so they might consider themselves Christians, but maybe they wouldn't consider themselves to be evangelicals because they can't check the four boxes of the statements that we looked at earlier. But it it's very interesting to see what we see nonetheless. And so there's quite a few more responses and statements that we're going to be going through on this section. So let's go back to the site here. The holiness of God. When it comes to U.S. adults overall, a clear majority agree with well-known doctrines of the Christian faith. But beneath the surface, they hold these truths loosely. In particular, Americans do not seem to grasp the reality of God's holiness. An alarming 69% of people disagree that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation, with 58% strongly disagreeing. So this is statement number 12. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Only 23% of Americans agree with that to 69% disagreeing. Okay. So obviously these are people that, you know, they think of a loving God and they, they think of sin as being a bad thing, but you know, not the smallest sins, not white lies, not, you know, uh, hating people, not jerking off and looking at porn because everyone does that, right? Not that stuff. We're talking about the big stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you murder somebody, if you rape somebody, if you're a gang rapist like Judge Kavanaugh, apparently, if you're any of those things, that's really bad. But all these little things, we're not really going to count those. So again, it ah, it's kind of a loose sense here. So let's get back to the website. If God is not holy, then sin is not a big deal. It is because our understanding of God's holiness that we understand how significant sin is. Moreover, a majority of Americans downplay the importance of the church's gathering together to worship God. This shows a characteristic American emphasis on individuality, an individuality that runs counter to the Bible's teaching. This dovetails right into statement number 20. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. 59% of Americans agree with this statement to only 30% disagreeing with this. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where um, we've seen this happen. We've seen a lot of people go through this and I'll just be 100% honest with you. I've kind of gone through this in my head before as well. Ignoring what the Bible says about the body of Christ, ignoring what Jesus himself said about his bride, ignoring everything I know to be true about the ecclesia. I thought about it, man, you know, what if I just did a home church, right? Even my wife has said, you know, how about we just stay here and maybe watch, you know, watch one of the pastors you really like and we'll just kind of do our own thing. And everyone kind of goes through things like that. And, and to be honest with you, for all the good things that, uh, you know, the rap artist Lecrae has done, which, um, you know, he, he's kind of fallen out of my good graces for some things that I may talk about on a later episode. But, you know, when he released Church Clothes, so this was a, a little um, mixtape that he released uh, several years ago. It may have been like, you know, six, seven years ago now. 
But when he released that, there were a lot of people that kind of, you know, they were, they were into that movement. They liked, you know, because Christian hip hop was so whack for so long that finally there was some guys out there with actual talent. And, you know, Lecrae was one of the guys basically pushing that forward. And he released that. And I feel like it gave a lot of people license to not go to church and to not be part of the body. Uh, but even if people don't know who Lecrae is or Reach Records or the 116 Click or any of that kind of stuff, it, it's still something that was really, really interesting to see that a lot of people think that you just don't need church. I mean, I've sat across people at the at the dinner table or across from coffee or something like that. And they're just like, yeah, we just don't need that, you know, anymore. Like, that's just kind of like an old school thing. Like, that was something our parents did. Like, oh, w- when was the declaration? When was the second, uh, you know, basically revelation that came through that we didn't need any of that stuff? Now, now, believe me, I know for a lot of you guys, maybe you're in a community where a lot of your churches suck. And I know it's like, oh, did he just say that? That a church can suck? Yeah, a church can suck, like hard, like really hard. Churches that don't really have great uh, environments for men. Churches that don't have great environments for kids. So your kids are literally kicking and screaming as, they're try- as you're trying to get them out the door to go to church. Churches that you don't like, that you and your wife aren't, aren't being fed. Like, I understand that. Now, churches are not just depots for you to be fed. They're not troughs that, you know, all the pastors are supposed to fill with all this goodness so you can get in there and, nom, 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 and get after it. That's not necessarily what the church is there for. But not every church is created equal. Not all of them do things correctly. Not all of them are following the Bible. Not all of them are teaching you in the right way. And we'll certainly get more into that later. But th- those weren't the declarations that we saw. Like, Jesus didn't die for just the good churches, He didn't just die for his bride where the music's really awesome. You know what I mean? He didn't just die for the one where all the single women are really good looking. He didn't die for all those and none of the others. Like, come on, guys. He died for all of them. The church is a body, not a place. Okay? So let's move along here. Why do so many people have this casual outlook? Perhaps because of relativism, the popular idea that religious beliefs are purely personal opinions. So this one's really, really important. So let's go into statement number 30. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. This one might be the most important one that we see. The most important one that we see. Because 60% of Americans surveyed believe that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not about objective truth. Okay, this is a big problem, a huge problem. And some of you listening to this maybe fall into that category. And let me just say to you, there are certain things that are opinions. And then there are certain things that are just true or not true. And you've heard me talk about this before, okay? If in your opinion, the color blue is the best color there is. That is not something that can be true, proven true or false. It can't be because it's an opinion. And, and let's say your best friend's favorite color is green. And we surveyed all the people on the planet and more people agree with him that green is better than blue. That does not make him right. It just means more people agree with his opinion. I've used this same anecdote or something close to it before, right? I think I did it with uh, uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron James or something like that. But That is the reality here is things either happened or they didn't. So if you look at the historical accounts of what happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Quran and any of the other ancient texts that are used to be the undergirding of any other ancient religion or even new religion, those things either happened or they didn't, right? 
They were either written down correctly or they weren't. They were either passed down accurately or they weren't. And most importantly, most importantly, Jesus either died on the cross and was resurrected three days later, or he wasn't. So, so let me just put it to you this way. So I had a good buddy of mine. I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but if you haven't heard this before, just come along for the ride. So a really good friend of mine who's stuck somewhere between atheist and agnostic, right? He doesn't really know exactly what he is, but all I, all he knows is growing up in junior high and high school, the worst people that he knew were Christians. The people that were drinking and sleeping around and sucking D's on the weekend, they'd be the first ones on the front pews crying and raising their hands to Jesus on Wednesday, right? Pretending to be all holy, judging their classmates and going out and doing the same thing that weekend, right? Those people. And the best people that he knew were people like his parents that had no religious background. They were just quote unquote good people, right? They just did good stuff, gave to charity, give you the shirt off their back, that type of thing. So I was working with this guy and he and I were, uh, I just wanted to talk to him about Jesus, but also I knew that I couldn't just come at him and show him the Bible because everyone that had ever put the Bible in front of him was a horrible person in his, his eyes. And so I took a different tact. I wanted to come at him using, um, using argumentation that wasn't based on the Bible, not because the Bible's not sufficient. Don't anybody email me, but I just wanted him to see a different type of argument for why Jesus was real and why he should believe in the gospel. And so he and I went through the Tim Keller book, Reason for God, which you've heard me talk about on this podcast several times. It's probably my second favorite book behind Fearless. Uh, Just an excellent, excellent book. And it's uh, a book that looks at, you know, the seven biggest arguments for why God couldn't exist. But then the second half of the book is the seven biggest reasons why it is reasonable to believe in a God. And the thing that was really important about doing it this way is through weeks and weeks and weeks of doing lunch and talking through this book and, you know, dealing with some of his objections and all those things, we had great, great conversations. And he asked me questions I didn't know the answer to. And it was all good because we would research it together. It all came down to one single thing. Because by the time we got done with this book and I finally said, bro, it's crap or get off the pot time. That's where we're at. There's not, not a whole lot else to think about. He goes, you know what? I want to do the same thing I've done with you and Christianity with somebody else about, you know, Islam. And I want to do it with somebody else about Buddhism and somebody else about Hinduism and Sikhism and Judaism and all these other isms. And I understood why he would say that because it was like he was a kid doing a book report, right? And so if he's doing a book report on the wonders of the world and he only looked at one of them, well, clearly you would want to go complete your research and collect all the other ones. But I told him this. I said, the best place to start with your research is to figure out if you believe that Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day. Is it not? I mean, just literally, just think about that. Because if that didn't happen, then bro, open up the floodgates. Let's bring in all the research we can because there is one religion that is putting up Jesus as the guy. There are other religions where he's mentioned, but only one has him as the guy that can take care of all of our sins, right? One dude. So you got to start there. And so I know that took me a while to spin that web for you, but just understand that that was the thing I had to tell him is you don't need to spend weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months looking into Islam and then move on to the next one. Because guess what? Islam is bunk if 
Jesus died and was raised three days later. Because then that means he's our savior. He's everything that we see uh, shown in the Old Testament that's pointing towards something. Everything that was prophesied. All that's true. And it was fulfilled in one man, Jesus of Nazareth. So start there. So when we come to this statement again, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. What in the world? 60% of people agree with that. And it goes right back to what was mentioned right before I read that statement. It's about moral relativism because it is seen as offensive now to say something with any definitive nature. Aside from the fact that saying anything with definitive nature is bad. You know, you can say that. That's like a truth claim without claiming to be true, right? But that's something that's got to be incredibly disheartening for people as you're operating. And for some of you listening to this, you're in ministry. How's this working out for you? All this relativism. You don't think that seeps into the church, guys? It's absolutely seeping into the church. The, the church is becoming downstream of culture. It has been for a while, but man, like it's just incredible. We'll get more into that here in just a little bit. So let's get back into the website. Even 32% of evangelicals say their religious beliefs are not objectively true. So this is related to the last thing. So we just talked about the percentage of Americans. So 60% of Americans think that, you know, it's not about objective truth. But let's look at evangelicals. Statement number 30, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. 32% of evangelicals agree with that. So we're, we're going at it from both sides here. I know I spent a lot of time talking about the Americans. 60% of Americans believe that. You can kind of feel like it because they're, you know, steeped in culture. But 32%, about a third of American evangelicals believe the same thing, that there's no objective truth. These are people that say the Bible is their highest authority. And yet we have no objective truth. Like no objective truth. That was the sound of me hitting myself in the forehead. This is so frustrating. Like I'm going to lose my voice from like freaking out. I've already read this stuff. I knew I was going to talk about it, but... Are you kidding? Come on, people, pastors, where are you at? This is your fault to a large degree. What kind of nonsense are you teaching from the pulpit? This is ridiculous. Okay, we're going to move on. We're going to keep going. All right. If Christianity and its doctrines, such as the holiness of God and the resurrection of Christ, are merely matters of personal opinion, then we are truly lost. This statistic is a reminder that Christians must contend for the quote-unquote true truth of Christianity when engaging with the culture. Jesus believed in absolute truth, and he said that the truth would set people free. Obviously, that's making, uh, you know, it's alluding to John 8, 32. So, man, like, just think about that one. Of all the things we talked about, that's probably the thing that's the most concerning. Got to say that's the most concerning, and there's a lot of stuff that's concerning in here. But let's keep going, and now let's go ahead and get into ethics. This year, for the first time, more Americans agree that the Bible's teaching on same-sex relationships is outdated than disagree. So, let's look at statement number 29. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Again, the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. 43 or 44% of Americans agree to only 41% disagreeing. So, we'll just keep in the website here. In only a few short decades, Americans' sexual ethic has changed significantly, and it continues to move away from a Christian ethic to a secular and relativistic one. So this is something that is incredibly, incredibly concerning for us, and it's something that's become harder and harder to traverse. 
because when the uh, Obama administration and when the Supreme Court literally just shoved gay marriage down our throats, um, that was something where the conversation essentially ended, that you can no longer have a debate because if people can get married, then clearly their relationship is okay. It's morally acceptable. It's natural, right? And then you have all these people saying that, okay, what about polyamory? What about, you know, basically people with multiple husbands, multiple wives? What if people that want to get married to their favorite horse or goat or something like that? And people are like, oh, that's not the same thing. You can't call that the same thing. But that's the track that we're on. If we're being honest, we're, we're just expanding into different things. Because if, if love is love, hashtag love is love, hashtag love wins, then who gets to define the parameters of love? You? The new culture warrior, social justice warrior, you're a dude. You think you're in love with a dude. You marry a dude. Well, I have a wife. What if I want two more? What if I can convince two moron chicks to marry me in addition to the one I'm keeping? Really? Is that going to be acceptable? You, You can't define my love. I love all three of these women. They also love me and we're all going to be married, but that's currently not legal, right? That's a problem. Can we really stop my definition of love? What if it's an inanimate object? Can I marry my coffee cup? I don't know how responsive of a sexual object that's going to be, but can I marry it? Like, can I get some legal ramifications for that? I know I'm being a little bit ridiculous, but some of these arguments go that exact direction. But just think about where that's come from. I know, guys, I'm 31. I know a lot of you guys, or I think I'm 32, sorry, can't even count these days. I'm 32. But for a lot of people listening to this podcast, you're a little bit older than I am. Think about how much this issue has changed in, in, in society just during our lifespan, like especially your parents or grandparents' lifespan. I mean, just remember back this, I've mentioned this before, back in 2007, 2008, when Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were vying for the Democratic ticket. Again, think of what the Democratic Party is today, 10 years later, but let's go back to that time. Both of them were against gay marriage. Both of them, right? Hillary Clinton trying to be all new wave and new left and all these things. And Barack Obama being the great savior. Let's light up the white house with the rainbow flag. Let's do all those different things and all the lights and all the the nonsense. He was against it until it was politically untenable to have that opinion. He didn't give a crap about gay people. Come on now. This is nonsense. But just think about where the ethic has shifted. It shifted so far and so significantly in the other direction. It's certainly not going to snap back. So think about how you're going to act and how you're going to go as this continues to go. Because I mean, you're going to have to contend with that opinion. All right, let's keep going here. However, the media may be exaggerating the extent, extent of this upheaval. It's referring to the upheaval in the opinion about sexual ethics. Many Americans continue to agree with biblical ethics. Our 2018 survey finds a slim majority in the United States now agree that abortion is a sin, up from 49% in 2016. So this is something that makes me incredibly happy. Okay, because this is looking at statement number 27, which is abortion is a sin. And these are people that are not considering themselves to be evangelicals. These are just Americans. 52% of people agree that this is a sin. So again, I've talked about this a lot. Abortion's my one issue. Go back to episode six of this podcast. Abortion is my one issue. You're never going to move me off of that issue. Okay. So if abortion is sinful, if people think that it is morally reprehensible, 
that it is wrong, that it is murder, if that becomes the overwhelming majority opinion, then we will see laws in this country and we will see the next generation be downstream of that. Okay? Roe v. Wade didn't end the debate. It just opened up the floodgates for more murder. That's all it did. So let's continue that discussion and let's keep that momentum going because here's the interesting thing about Gen Z. Gen Z is more conservative than people realize and they're also more, pro, more pro-life than people realize. Everyone just assumes that every generation is going to keep getting more and more liberal and more and more secular and all those different things and there are certainly going to be pockets of truth and elements of truth within that. But science is way different today than it was 40 years ago when Roe v. Wade shoved abortion down her necks. Way different. You can literally see your baby, a 3D version of your baby, right in front of you. Like, you know how many, how many human beings have been saved from murder in the womb simply because there were like mobile uh, units that were showing, uh, showing these women, these babies, like, you know, looking inside their stomachs and going, look what's growing inside of there. It's not a useless clump of cells. Like your favorite democratic politician says, it's not a, a meaningless, nothing worth nothing, man. So, so I'm really, really jazzed about that because at first, whenever I read this, I thought it just said 52% of evangelicals and I was ready to flip my crap again, but this is just Americans in general. So it seems as if the tide may be shifting just a little bit when it comes to abortion, which I got to say, I'm pretty excited about. Okay. Now let's go into age because this is something I mentioned earlier, kind of breaking down between different generations, kind of where are different generations landing on a lot of these issues. So let's pick back up with the website here. The survey picks up some fascinating and perhaps unexpected results in the millennial age range, which is ages 18 to 34. The views of millennials will eventually shape the future of America. The 2018 results indicate strong confusion among millennials, and it will be important to monitor these trends in future surveys. There has been a significant change for the better among millennials across a range of questions when compared to the previous state of theology surveys, so much so that they score higher than any other age group in several areas. Whether this is an anomaly or will continue unabated in future years remains to be seen. The percentage of those in this age range having evangelical beliefs rose significantly to 18% in 2018, which was up from 14% in 2016. There was also a large increase in the percentage of millennials affirming that salvation is found in Christ alone and that Jesus Christ will return to judge the world. So let's look at statement number 34 here. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So 62% of evangelical participants ages 18 to 34, so millennials, agree with this, which is up from 53% in 2016. That is a huge jump. In in this survey, you don't really see a lot of almost double-digit jumps, so that jumped 10%. So that's really, really encouraging. Now let's go into statement number 19. There will be a time when Jesus Christ returns to judge all the people who have lived. 64% of evangelical millennials agree with this, up from 55% in 2016. Again, almost a 10% jump. At the same time, young adults appear to be drifting away from the Christian worldview in other areas. Obviously, you knew this was coming. Millennials are most likely to agree that the Bible is not literally true. So here we go. Statement number 14. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. So 53% of millennials agree with that, and that's higher 
than in 2016 and in 2014, which were 46% and 44%. Okay. So obviously that is taking a nosedive. So the thing you have to think about when it comes to this is why are millennials believing this way? Why is there a detachment away from the Bible and any of the stories within it being literally true? Because like I've said many times, with each year that goes by, if the stories in the Bible weren't real, and if they were fabricated or fake, then the Bible would become less and less tenable every year. It'd become less and less reliable every year. Every year that there were archaeological finds or historical findings or different things that were dug up, we would see like, oh, this couldn't possibly happen. Or this couldn't have happened the way that it was depicted in the Bible. But literally the exact opposite is true. We see that a lot. The exact opposite is true. They're like, wow, we never thought that the, these, this people group was in this area during this time because we've never found anything that would, that would agree with that statement until we find it. And then it's like, oh, well, that was true. Crap. Ha <laughs> We had it wrong. Moving on. You're never going to see that on CNN. There's not going to be a little blurb that pops up on Fox News. No one's ever going to show you that. Right. But it happens. It happens quite a bit. So that's something that's really important to think about. So why are millennials going this direction? And to be honest with you, if I was to come up with my own hypothesis, I would come up, I would come at it in terms of what they're, they're seeing in higher education. So maybe they didn't have a great theological upbringing uh, from their church, their home church. Maybe they didn't really pay attention. Maybe they didn't go to uh, a private Christian school, school or maybe something like that. And the thing that we have to think about is who's influencing them and at what times. So your brains aren't fully developed until you're 25, but from the ages of 18 till about 23, you're basically being taught by people that all think the same thing. Most college professors would align with the political left and the secular left, right? So I remember uh, one of my my freshman roommate, he was in a, uh, it was like a PR class. I think it was like the first class that you take whenever you're wanting to go into PR. And he had a professor basically shake his faith at the very beginning, because he said, he just talked about how important words were and how important shifting one word in one direction, or even one letter in one direction could change the meaning of somebody's entire life. And the example that he used, probably not accidentally, was Jesus walking on water versus Jesus walking in water. Obviously that only changes one letter, walking on versus walking in. And he's like, if you heard the story of Jesus as a guy that walked in water, would you have thought him to be some, some magical person? Probably not. Probably not. Right. And, and so that was the thing is from him that, that shook his faith as an 18 year old freshman at the university of central Oklahoma, right? Not exactly like some crazy left-wing university, but you know, those people are there. And so these are the people that are influencing our young, our young minds, our millennials. And it's the same people that are going to be influenced in Gen Z. And so if their head is filled with nonsense or with what they deem to be fairy tales, then it's going to be easy for them to be influenced. So let's keep going back in here. And a growing minority of millennials see God as removed from their daily lives. So let's look at statement number 24. God is unconcerned with my day-to-day decisions. 60 or sorry, 36% of participants that are millennials agree with this, which is up from 30% in 2016 and 21% in 2014. So a growing number of millennials think that God is unconcerned with their day-to-day decisions. Obviously, I don't really need to go into too much detail there. Obviously, we know that that is pretty dadgum ridiculous. So moving on here, 
These results overall may indicate an increasingly stark polarization of views among young adults. Finally, the views of millennials on ethical issues are noteworthy. Millennials are most likely to say abortion is a sin, an increase from 2016. So we talked about that in terms of millennial evangelicals, abortion is a sin. Earlier we were talking about just Americans. So statement number 27, abortion is a sin. 57% of millennials agree with this, which is up from 50% in 2016. So for all the things millennials have been maligned for, and you know, for a lot of things, we, we deserve it for in large part. Almost a 10% jump and the number of millennials that think that abortion is a sin, that, that would consider themselves to be millennial evangelicals. So it's concerning that these evangelicals didn't consider that to be the true before, but this is even better that it is that high now, and I hope it continues in that trend. So back to the website. They're also most likely to disagree with sexual relationships outside of marriage. So this is, again, talking about evangelicals that, can, that are millennials. So we're going back to statement number 26 here, which is, we're not going back to it, we're introducing it for the first time, excuse me. Statement 26, sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin, okay? 54% of participants that are millennials agree with that, which is up from 47% in 2016. So with the sexually promiscuous culture that we're living in and all the different things about sex is okay anytime, anywhere, you know, wear protection if it's convenient, you know, this is saying that millennials that are evangelicals are, are starting not to really agree with that, which is encouraging. Back to the website. However, at the same time, this age group has the most liberal views on homosexual behavior and gender identity, showing the powerful impact of our increasingly secular culture on people's thinking. This is getting back to what I was talking about earlier. So let's look at statement number 29. This is something that we did talk about earlier. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. 51% of evangelical millennials agree with that. So... Again, downstream of culture. And the next thing, which is statement number 28, is gender identity is a matter of choice. 46% of evangelical millennials agree with this statement. So we're not going to get into gender identity and gender dysphoria or any of those things on this podcast. I promise you, I know I've been promising it for probably 50 episodes now. We are going to do an entire podcast on that subject alone. I just want to make sure that it's a narrative that is appropriate for everybody because I know I'm not going to ever delete it. So I want to make sure that everything's all squared away and that you're all getting kind of the full accounting of what you should in terms of what you should be looking at there. But that is a concerning thing to be looking at. I mean, 40% think that gender identity is a matter of choice going completely against biology, completely against everything that we know about chromosomes. But like I said, I almost went into it. All right, I'm going to get out of it before I get into it. All right, so here we go. We're going to wrap this up with the conclusion from the website here. The 2018 State of Theology survey reveals deep confusion about the Bible's teaching, not only among Americans as a whole, but also among evangelicals. There is something very wrong when a majority of Americans can give the correct answers to basic Bible questions and at the same time say that their beliefs are purely a matter of personal opinion. That's, all, that's great. That's a really, really good line right there. These results show the urgent need for sound biblical teaching and the bold preaching of the gospel. Amen. Millions of people do not understand the holiness of God, the reality of sin, and the one way of salvation in Jesus Christ. There is much work to be be done, but it is our hope that these findings will serve the church in its efforts to reach more people with the faithful proclamation of the truth of God's word. So obviously I've, I'm in full support of what this ministry is doing. I know that this the results of this finding have been reviewed by 
hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of church leaders, I would assume thousands of church leaders around the United States. And I hope it's something that they're taking seriously. Because again, as I was thinking through over the last couple of months of how I would present this material to you and how I would try to make it uh, discouraging while at the same time being encouraging and telling you the right story, but also giving you a prescriptive path. The, the thing that kind of came down to me is that there's just a bunch of questions that you have to ask yourself. Okay. I'm going to obviously encourage you to go back and read this stuff on your own and make some of your own declarations and your own opinions on some of these things that can be opinionated. But here's just a few questions that you need to be able to ask yourself. Okay. The first is how's your theology? How's your individual theology? Yes, dude, I'm talking to you, the guy listening to this podcast right now. How's your theology? Do, Do you have any? Do you feel like you have a theological underpinning for the things that you believe within Christianity? So there's you something to really chew on. The second question, who's teaching you your theology? This one's really important. Who's teaching you your theology? Like I said, not every pastor is a good one. Not every church is a good one. Some of them suck. They may have been called, but they might suck at their job. Just kind of what it is. Are they teaching you the right theology? Like, who's teaching you your theology? Are they qualified to do that? Think about that one. Next question. Who's influencing your theology? There's a lot of people that talk about Oprah and the things that she's done to kind of influence women and kind of give them this sort of like pseudo-Christianity thing. But do you listen to Rob Bell? Do you listen to... Stephen Furtick? How about Carl Lentz? Brian Houston? Do you listen to those guys? Are they influencing your theology? What about that dope down in Houston? I can't even remember his name. The Oh, uh, Joel Osteen? Is he influencing your theology? Are these the opinions that you're letting get in your ear? And the, and the other question here is, is your theological knowledge correct? Oh, I just used the, the crazy bad word, right? The, the 2018 number one curse word, correct. Is your theological knowledge correct? Because here's the thing, that's knowable. Because if you believe something theologically, it can be tr- proven true or false. Without a doubt, unequivocally. Because if it's part of doctrinal theology, then it can be proven. But here's the other thing is I just asked you to ask yourself four questions. How's your theology? Who's teaching you your theology? Who's influencing your theology? And is your theological knowledge correct? But now I want you to ask the same questions about your wife and kids. How's your wife's theology? How are your kids' theology? Who's teaching your wife theology? Who's teaching your kids theology? Who's influencing your wife's theology? Who is influencing your kids' theology? Is your wife's theological knowledge correct? Is your kids' theological knowledge correct? And guys, maybe it didn't click with you when I had you ask yourself those questions because you can kind of self-select out of even doing that. But I just upped the stakes a little bit, didn't I? Because guess what? If you're not helping them, dad, husband, someone is. It might be Oprah. It might be Joe Rogan. It might be PewDiePie, that YouTube guy. 
Somebody's helping him. And, and guess what? If Jolie Osteen is teaching you and your wife, that's a problem. And I'm not saying you have to just find uh, a bunch of reformed guys, not saying they're bad either, but it's just like, man, you, you got to find some real substantive places for that. And, and that's my encouragement to you guys here is guys, I didn't go to a, a seminary. Like I don't have a theological de- degree. I don't have an MDiv. I don't have any of those things. I got some, some solid dudes that are in, uh, they're in seminary right now that listen to this podcast. And I'm like super grateful and thankful for those guys. But man, there are so many, so many resources out there for you. You just have to seek them out. And we'll talk about that more here. Guys, let's do a quick resilience boost before I let you out of here. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, you know, drum roll, please. You obviously know we're going to talk about this. Let's get into spiritual resilience. So I have the link here for you for the key findings of the state of theology, which is what I read through. But also I have the link for the, the data explorer of the state of theology, which basically gets more into what each of the different questions looked like. And I thought about a lot of things here as well. Like, what am I going to give you as resources on, you know, different sermons or different this or that, or or different books that you can read. But the thing is, guys, is I'm going to challenge you here. Like you have a supercomputer in your pocket. You're probably, you might be listening to this on an actual supercomputer. Like this is the deal. Like you can find this stuff. Uversion is one of the most amazing things that could have ever been brought into Christendom. I, I mean that wholeheartedly, not just because it was invented in my backyard, right? But the number of devotionals, I mean, like, like daddy devotionals, like real ones, like super dense devotionals that you can get on that website for free. It's incredible. There's a bunch of dopey ones on there as well. That's to be expected. But there's also, there's so much theological knowledge out there as well. Free resources on websites all over the place. Like different ministries, like Legionnaire Ministries, right? Some of you guys are maybe eventually will go to a divinity school of some kind. To to all my guys out there listening to this that either went through seminary or are in it now, please send me anything that you can. So tag tag us in any of our social media posts. Hit me up at info at undaunted.life. You can email me there, info at undaunted.life. Anything that I can share with the guys on this podcast, I will always be willing to do that. I'll certainly look at it and test it out myself first, but then I'll send it out to everybody else because guys, I I just can't underestimate uh, or undersell this to you enough. Like this is so incredibly important. Like I I would just want to make sure that this is something that is, that is at the top of your brain especially when it comes to your family, because that is your responsibility. Maybe you don't think it is, and maybe somebody convinced you it's not, and you watched this TED Talk once, and it's like, ah, you know, I think I'll be all right. Nope, this is your responsibility. You need to take care of your household. All right, guys, thank you as always for listening this far into the episode. I really do appreciate it. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen. And please share this on social media. If you use the hashtag UndauntedLife, we'll be sure to find your post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five-star reviews. Please, 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 all right? We are currently still five-star reviewed. And make sure when you leave the review, you leave us two or three sentences that let us know what you like about the podcast. 
I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your church, to your Sunday school, to your men's event, to your camp, to your retreat, whatever, hit me up at info at undaunted.life. The email again is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. You can check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.